Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is from Mark's uh, Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We pray. O Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us and enable us to live more committed lives after the manner in which you gave your life for us. In Christ Jesus, amen. It was a very big day recently for some theological students. At the end of this past month, it was call day at the two seminaries that this church body has. On call day, the students who have been studying to become pastors find out where the church has called them to be ministers. It can be a day that's very stressful, a day marked with apprehension and joy of humility and a sense of awe. It's one of the few days a year where you get to plainly see the Holy Spirit at work actively in the church. Through the Holy Spirit, churches and congregations all over the nation have cast votes and have trusted in God to provide a new under-shepherd to the flock, to undergo the task of shepherding, of training, of preaching, and of discipling. In case you're wondering, the great state of Minnesota got three new pastors and two vicars from St. Louis and three pastors and one vicar from Fort Wayne. And these men have been called to the specific task of serving the church. One could argue they've done as what Jesus said in Mark, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And though that is a specific calling from God to do a specific task, what about the rest of the church? Obviously, not everyone here goes on to enter professional church work. But that does not mean you're not called by God. In fact, the mandate of Jesus in the book of Mark is to take up your cross and to follow him, and it is something asked of every Christian. And this thing that Jesus is talking about in Mark has a name. It's called discipleship. And to understand that word, we must know what it means to be a disciple. The easiest way to describe it is a follower of Jesus. It is one who follows where Jesus is leading. It is someone who is called by God to go and follow, fulfilling the life of service and dedication that Jesus has prepared for them. And you don't need to participate in a call day service to know that you are called. In fact, for most of us in this room, that calling of the Holy Spirit was evident in our lives through our baptisms. It is the day that we have certainty of God's calling us to be his own. And as God has called and baptized us as his children, we are to listen to him and to go where he leads us. But sadly, many people do not know what they're living for. They don't have a clue. They lack a sense of worth, a sense of purpose, a sense of direction. The remedy for that is it begins by uh, finding a purpose in life. Sometimes you might feel like you're just a number, a social security number, or 
a small cog in a great big piece of machinery. Maybe you feel like a person who works at a machine eight hours a day making some small part for a car or a truck but having no idea as to the purpose of that part. In a book called The Christian Calling, the author tells of a group of laborers who were working every single day digging holes five feet deep in the street. The boss didn't tell them why they were digging holes, just that they had to dig holes. After they were done digging the hole, he would come by and he'd look at the hole and he'd say, okay, fill her up. They would fill the holes back up again. And finally at noon, the men said, wait, we quit. This doesn't make any sense. Give us the money you owe us. We're quitting. And the boss asked why they were quitting. And they said, well, digging holes doesn't make a lot of sense just to fill them back up again. It's really dumb. And furthermore, we look like fools. The boss then told them why they were digging holes. It was to locate the water main. You see, the point is every human being wants to know that there's some purpose to what he's doing. The older generation may call this a sense of duty. The younger generation calls this identity. But for us Christians, we call that discipleship. And God has called us to a life of discipleship. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ, a, a believer in him, a student of his. The word disciple occurs some 260 times in the Gospels and in the book of Marks, the book of Acts. When we think of a disciple, we probably think of one of the 12 apostles, right? But the word is only used 30 times in reference to them. Today we're more likely to use the word Christian instead of the word disciple, although the term Christian that comes into use much later. And actually, it's only found three times in the Bible. Perhaps it's because a disciple is much more than just a Christian, just a believer, just a church member. Being a disciple involves a personal relationship. It literally means to be a devoted follower of a person. In the Bible, there were people who were disciples of John the Baptist and disciples of St. Paul and others. Among the philosophers, there were disciples of Plato and disciples of Aristotle. Discipleship means to follow a person. Someone was talking to a great scholar about a young man. He said, John tells me he's a student of yours. He said, well, he may attend my lectures, but he's not a student of mine. You see, there's a world of difference between attending the lectures and being a student. Being a disciple is being a student of Jesus, a, a learner of Jesus. It always involves a personal relationship, being connected to him through faith. My favorite theologian that understood a, a thing or two about discipleship said, if anyone were to rap at the door of my heart and ask who lives there, I would have to say, Martin Luther used to live here, but he doesn't live here any longer. Now it's Jesus Christ who lives here. This is a personal relationship. A disciple recognizes that a man does not live 
by bread alone or by sports alone or by entertainment alone or by fast food alone or by computers alone or by investments alone or by work alone or whatever, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I also want to make this point. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not something you choose to be or something you choose to do. We do not choose Christ, but he chose us. The Lutheran Hour Ministries just put out a daily devotion about what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. He chose us to be his disciple. And by his grace, he enables us to do what he calls us to do. To take up the cross, to follow him, to be his disciple. He's the one who gives us reason, purpose for living. It is Christ who calls us to carry out his mission, to carry out what God intends. To be called by God to follow him is both very humbling and very exhilarating. It's humbling in the sense of why. Why should he call us sinful, weak human beings to carry out his message? And yet, on the other hand, it's also very exhilarating to know that he calls us to carry out his work, his holy work, and will empower us to do so. And when God calls a person through the gospel to follow him, he calls the whole person, the whole life of that person. You can't separate your life into little segments or categories. You can't say, well, in my, part, in my life, this part will be faithful to God, but I'm going to ignore him the rest of the time. In fact, Scripture is quite clear on this. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You see, the life of discipleship is not for everyone. Because being a disciple involves commitment. It's not about seeing what options you have, what alternatives there are, but it's about devoting your whole life and service to Christ Jesus. That's true whether you're a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, a son or a daughter, whether you're a man or a woman, neighbor or friend, employer or employee, what have you. And it's important to note that our Lord does not force us to follow him. He does not stand over us with a club saying, you must do this or you have to do that or else I'm going to get you. No. No, it's by his grace. By his undeserved love and his mercy and his care for us, he simply invites us to follow him, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. But to follow him means we have to deny ourselves, and we're not sure we want to do that. We would much rather focus on ourselves, on our own issues, our own problems, our own challenges, rather than to call on Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself 
and follow me. That's hard to do because the self is contrary to Jesus. The self wants the things that the self is interested in. What, what can I get out of it? What, what's in it for me? The self doesn't want to put self aside in favor of God and a relationship with him. To deny the self is more than just giving up your favorite food or entertainment. It's more than giving up the gravy on the mashed potatoes or the chocolate on the ice cream. It's fully giving yourself to Jesus Christ in willing obedience to follow his call to discipleship. If you've ever had a loving parent, you'll know a thing about self-denial. Or if you've ever been a parent, you'll definitely know something about self-denial. In a book called The Turning Point, the author talks about an event in a young man's life, a young man who was beginning his senior year of college. And this was during the years of the Great Depression. His family did not have the money to afford to send him to college, even though it only cost $20, including books. The father didn't have $20. He said, son, don't worry. Tomorrow, we'll go to the bank. I'll sign a note for you, and we'll get the money for you so you can go to college. So the next morning, they went to the bank, and they met with the banker. The banker looked over the papers they had, and and he said, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't give you the loan. I wish I could, but the directors of the bank have a policy. If, if there's nothing to back up the loan, no collateral, no guarantee for it, then, well, no loan. They were disappointed, but then they heard about some people who were known to be generous with their loaning of money. But sadly, same answer here. No collateral, no loan. It seemed there was no way for this young man that he would ever be able to go to college to finish his last year. Well, fast forward just a bit. It was the day before school was set to start, and a big truck pulled up to the back of the house. Two men got out of the back of the truck, and they put some boards on from the back of the truck to the, the, the porch. The young man wasn't there that day, but uh, he heard about it later on. See, there was one thing that the mother loved more than anything else. Well, next to Jesus and her family, that is. And that one thing was her piano. She loved to play her piano. She enjoyed the music that came from it. She loved to sing. It gave her great pleasure and great joy. It was the only decent piece of furniture they had in the whole house. Well, the men pushed and they rolled, and they pushed the piano across the boards onto the truck. Then the driver took out some money from his pocket, and he gave some bills to the mother, a 20, a 10, and a 5. The driver got into the truck, and they drove off with the mother's prized possession, the piano, in the back of that truck. As they drove off, the mother started crying uncontrollably. The the father put his arms around her, trying to console her, to hug her, but she sobbed and sobbed. Later, the father said to the son, Son, 
You can go back to college tomorrow. Your mother sold the piano. And then he gave him the money. That's exactly what God is like. God's like the parents, and we're like the college student. You see, God took the one thing he loved the most, his son, the piano, and he gave him up for you and for me, and he did so at the hand of sinners. He was disgraced and rejected and denied and killed. And then he passed the money on to us. Forgiveness, peace, joy, graciousness, kindness, mercy, hope, encouragement. And then he said, son, you can go to college and be my disciple because I love you. Because of my grace for you. From now on, you can have my grace. You can have my joy, my purpose, and my meaning in life. When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, he's asking for the piano, for your piano. He, might, he may not be asking, or he is not asking for anything more than he's already given himself. And as disciples, there may be times that we have to suffer for Christ Jesus. Jesus knew himself that he would have to do that. He knew he was going to have to die. He, he knew that it would be ugly that it would be painful, that it would have to hurt. The cross, the cross was filthy, full of all the muck and the mire of all the people of all time in all the world, including your sins and mine. Jesus knew that that cross held our greed, our pride, our, our self-righteousness. It held our deceptions and our disobediences and everything else. And yet, he still chose to go the way of the cross. To face it head on, no matter what. He was perfect. He was sinless, and yet he would suffer for all of our crimes, all of our mistakes, all of the times that we fell short. You see, for Jesus, it was total commitment. He knew he must die. He knew it was absolutely necessary, and it meant everything for him. He had to do it in order to pay for the sins of the world, yours and mine and for eternal life. And he calls us to a life of total commitment, to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and to follow him, a task, a task we can't accomplish on our own. And so he enables us to do this by his word and by his sacraments. He empowers us to live our lives for him, to become better disciples, to become more Christ-like along the way. Through Christ's body and blood in the sacrament, we get a new start. We get to start again as disciples with, with wholeness and new life. He assures us that all of our sins are forgiven and that they're forgotten so that we can start over with a clean slate. Jesus calls us to be his disciples. Our lives are given to us for only one purpose, to follow Christ 
where he leads. We only have one life to give, and discipleship is the path. So, let us deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.